Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 152, Sam 2, in A Storm of Swords. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, here we are, still in the north, with Samwell. Last time we were here, it's the front of the month we took last week off for his dark materials, and we're back to Sam 2. Last week we had, uh, or last episode, we had Yoke Boy on with us, which was wonderful. Radio Westeros actually just put out their Samwell Tarly episode, if it's chains you want. I haven't listened to all of it yet. I know, Eliana, did you get through it yet? No, I'm going to do so by the next episode, but I've been wanting to, you know, really give it my, give it my focus, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see, you know, what they've said, and I know that, like, you're trying to make sure to keep pure, right? You're trying to be, like, first half of the story, Samwell. I'm trying to be second mm-hmm. half of the story, Samwell. We'll meet in the middle. We'll meet in the yeah. middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of, um, yeah, our purity, so. Oh my god, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> it was a blast having Yoke Boy on. And yes. I'm so excited about our guest for next week for Sam 3 in A Storm of Swords. We are having on our friend Noah. You might know them from Twitter as at Samantha Tarley. I think they were at Gren Pip or Pip Gren before, Pip weren't Gren. they? I think it was Pip, Pip Gren. Gren. We love a good Pip Gren in this house. We do, um, we do. Noah has actually has an essay called If It's Chains You Want, Samuel Tarley, Gender and War, and it is amazing. We will link it in the description of this. I know that they are working on... I think, other essays in the future. They go to school. They're very busy. They have busy lives. But yeah. really good. Really excited yeah. to have them come on. They have such great views and just like on the gender expression around Samuel Tarly and the relationship with Randall. There's a lot of like good Sam stuff coming out now, you know, between yeah, Noah and Radio Westeros finally diving into his storyline. So I'm I'm just excited. This is a good time for us to be doing Sam content. And also even like in the, and we'll probably talk about this more in later chapters, like in the Our Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, Best Ofs, there was a really great essay about Sam's development and maybe where Sam's story is going to go as like sort of like this archer figure. So again, I think we're going to bring that up later. And there's just a couple of other stuff too. It's a good time. Good time for Sam. Sam fans, Sam stands, swim fan ninety two. Uh, oh I forgot. I forgot what the actual username was. Sam fan. I don't know. That's where I'm going. I, I have to say though, that's a, such a great concept because that does play swim fan. Oh. No archery plays <laughs> such an important part in you know your sigil become you that mm-hmm. kind of thing going on. And uh, speaking of swim fan ninety two, I, I will say one of the biggest reasons I'm excited for Noah to come on is that Noah. A Song yes. of Ice and Fire shit posts like the good days. Like mm-hmm. when when Aeswaf was so fresh and new and happy to me. It, it Noah makes me feel alive, you know, when they shit post about Aeswaf online. So I'm excited yeah. for that energy. Exactly. Shit posts are what it's about. It's part of what drew me to you in the first place on Twitter. I was like, I like this username, Queen of Love and Booty, on it amazing like your style (laughs) i do i do and also i mean you know shit posts you were talking about polishing turds prior to us (laughs) recording this and i was like i don't want to hold the turds so it all comes together um but no uh, i'm i am really excited i've been really looking forward to us having noah on this episode i mean like 
their essay is like very incredible so yeah and i just feel like on a meta level they have very good understanding of the story flow and the fandom they seem to understand what the people want what the people don't want what the people should want and next week they're gonna tell us all about that but you know what the people want? want What the fans need. Oh my god. (laughs) Signing off on this. Okay. (laughs) Eliana, the fans want Discord access. Maybe they do, you know, and if you are a fan who wants Discord access, you can find it over on Patreon, patreon.com slash girls gone canon in the Thunder Tier and above. You get access to our Discord where, again, we have happy hour slash brunch once a month. People get together, sometimes do presentations, play some reindeer games. This time, not actually literal reindeer games. That was December only. But also, some other people are doing some fun stuff lately on the Discord. Yeah, so our brunch slash happy hour where we do those reindeer games is going to be this month on the 20th. Uh, The 20th of February will be the next brunch happy hour. No theme yet, TBA. We'll be putting that out there for patrons soon, so keep an eye on your feed. And the reason why it is going to be a Sunday two months in a row is because our very good friend Pete has been running a His Dark Materials rewatch discussion a discussion, if you will, yeah. over at our Discord, where everyone's jumping on voice chat once a week to talk about an episode. Uh, last week was exciting. It was very new, very fun. We rewatched season one, episode one. We came having watched. The first half of the discussion was spoiler free, and the second half was dusty, very dusty. We talked about the spoilers for the series and the book, and uh, kind of just covered everything together, and that was just really fun. It was a couple of hours. So this week's episode is the idea of North. Uh, we will do that, I believe, Saturdays at 1 p.m. is when Pete is hosting that. Eliana Standard Time. Mm-hmm. I think the first one was, like, super great. Great success. So thank you, Pete, for hosting those. Other things that happen on our Patreon is... Every single month, patrons get a bonus episode if you are in the Stranger Tier or above. This past month, you know, we overcame, you know, we were brave. We were a little afraid, right? Because we did our uh, Norvos episode, and even though we were feeling a little Norvos, we did it anyway. (laughs) Oh my god. It was bad when I said it, but now you're saying it, and I'm hearing it, and I know that it's bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm I'm glad. You're like a mirror. You're you're a mirror, Eliana. Thank you. Thank this, you. We're not for doing me. mirror. We've already uh, done the mirror episode long ago. Yes, our Norvos <laughs> episode, Hella Nervous, is up for patrons in the Stranger tier and above, our five dollar tier and above, and we're visiting all the free cities. Right, we are uh, roaming around the free cities, having a good time. We have the last two, Volantis and Bravos, are all that's left. So. Those will eventually come out for patrons over the next handfuls of months, and I don't know, maybe we'll roll them out to public someday. But if you want to check them, check them there. Yeah. And then, of course, something else very exciting happening this February is we are starting the Cersei POV. Oh my god. Not not that Cersei POV. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, Am I ever going to get tired of this joke? No. (laughs) I think we've done it like five times now. It's We've still done not, it way more. Not We've done funny, it way more. 
So we're going to be reading Circe by Madeline Miller. Uh, Madeline Miller also wrote The Song of Achilles. We covered that, oh, just what, a month or so ago. And now we're going to Circe, which is a great, great book. I really love it. I'm excited for Eliana's take on it. There are definitely some Circe parallels to Aesuave, so we'll probably talk about Mm. that. I know we did talk about parallels to literature that we love and have read when we did The Song of Achilles, so... We'll come yeah. back to what these vibes are, too. But I encourage you to read along with us, you know, uh, get reading. It'll come out end of February. Little Valentine's date with Cersei, not that Cersei. Indeed. Indeed. Not a Cersei. <laughs> not a Cersei. <laughs> we have a lot of fun together, you and I. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun. So other things that are fun are, so last month, yes, we did have a historic materials episode at the beginning and at the end. This month, we are resuming having the last week's episode be a historic materials episode. Yes, at the end of each month, you'll get that historic materials episode. We are just driving, driving home the long fucking and winding road here for little Miss Lyra Balakwa. So listen in to His Dark Materials if you're into that, the Amber Spyglass. Only five-ish episodes probably left. Then we'll move on and probably come back. Fuck. We'll move on yeah. to His Dark Materials and then come back to His Dark To go materials, forward, you but... must go back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, before long, we'll be at that new POV after Sam, right? This is a, a short sprint through the books, but it's a good one. It is. It's... It's a really good one, and I'm really enjoying these Sam episodes, Sam chapters so far. I know we just started, but I'm already enjoying I've already started, crafted our, our little outline for the next episode already with Noah, so mm. I actually feel like I'm time-traveling back in time right now. Wow. Wow. I'm crazy. Crazy. I have the best job in the just world. Just like Brand in the show. <laughs> I'm trying to do the eye thing, but y'all can't see it. It's hard. I've tried it before. As a child. I can't. Um, So other things that we're seeing, right, are these emails and tweets of note. So we've gotten a few messages and I have to get back to some people. I really enjoyed some of the messages that we've received recently, but I also want to call out this week a tweet that Chloe brought to my attention. Yes, we got a tweet from one of our friends. Actually, sorry, it's very important I read the screen name. It's Kawaii Thug Life. That feels important to this, uh, in my opinion. It makes it so much better. But they tweeted and said, I've named two of my best nine tails in Pokemon Go after you beautiful hostesses. Eliana is a perfect nine tails. Chloe is a lucky nine tails. Chloe's a fire type, which is strong against Eliana's ice and fairy type. Chloe fires Eliana. Amazing. 10 out of 10. Eliana, explain the joke. Yes. Okay. All right. So... As you all may or may not know, if you've been keeping up with Pokemon lore, when Pokemon released the Alola region, which I believe is Gen 7, Gen 7, Pokemon Sun and Moon, they brought in Alolan forms of some of the Pokemon. One of those Pokemon is Vulpix, and many of you probably know Vulpix as a fire type, a fire fox, right? Vulpix evolves into fire Pokemon Ninetales. Well, in Alola, Vulpix is an ice type, and when Vulpix evolves into Ninetales, Vulpix becomes an ice and fairy type. Alolan Ninetales. Well, 
when Kawaii Thug Life says that my Nine Tails is a perfect, it means that of the three IV stats, attack, defense, and HP, which are your three IVs in Pokemon Go, all three are 100. They are all 15 out of 15. So I am a Hundo, is what they are called. Unfortunately, I am not a shiny Pokemon, which would be called a Shundo. So I am a Hundo. Chloe is a lucky Pokemon. So I believe this means that Kawaii Thug Life received this Ninetales, this Fire Ninetales, in a trade, a lucky trade, which means that it takes less Stardust in order to power up this Ninetales, which is actually very, very good and exciting. Am I a lightweight? Is that what this means? No, you're like just a very good learner. Very advanced. Wow. It takes Ooh. little for you to advance in your combat power. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. Thank you so much, Kawaii Thug Life. I really <laughs> loved that tweet. It actually did make my day. Um, yeah. And thank you, Eliana, for Eliana explaining that one to me. I was you're curious. Like, I'm like, I don't get a cool name for mine. You're the hundo, but whatever. Whatever. I think Lucky, I don't know, actually, I don't know if Luckies have a name. I mean, they're just Lucky, which is very sought after. I am very sought after. Thank you. You are. Thank you for understanding. <laughs> Uh, you know who's sought after? All the characters Who? whose chapters that we don't read <laughs> during this, right? Well, that's a sought after segue. thing. Thank Amazing. you. Uh, that's a sought after feature. Yes. And I gotta say, I'm gonna be denying some of those today. I've altered. Whoa. I've altered the basic fundamental foundation and, you know, just absolutely molecular structure of the lightning round today i have yep. removed catalan Tyrion, jamie danny sansa they don't matter right now i mean they matter they all matter in my heart or whatever but they don't matter right now we're gonna check out aria brand davos and john only in this lightning round right now i will say i take umbrage with the removal of the danny chapter and we'll but it's okay we'll touch on it enough in this episode yes okay okay well, <laughs> Let's kick it off with Arya 4, where Arya meets the ghost of High Heart. Gasp. Bran 2. Bran hears stories of a tourney long past as they seek shelter in the north. Davos 3. Davos gets a new fellow prisoner, Alistair Florent. Hooray. John 3. John must part with his wolf as he prepares to mount the wall with the free folk. Arya 5. The mad huntsman acquires a prisoner that we read me know and love <laughs> woof 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 john four the climb unfortunately proves fatal for some of the group egret is dismayed that they did not find the horn of winter throws us right into sam two where it's a gender reveal party at craster's keep and you are all invited is that why it's so dangerous? Because it's a gender reveal party? Yes. Yes, exactly. Those are exactly. deadly nowadays. That's what I've heard. So that's it felt fitting. It fit. It fit. All right. So Sam 2 kicks off with a woman giving birth noisily above the loft and a man below is dying by the fire. And it's just... We love chapter openings here at Girls Gone Canon because this one is especially... It's an interesting juxtaposition. Um... With that larger overall idea of only death can pay for life, being a part of the whole series, but also how later on in Sam's chapters, right, he 
learns a lesson about death being part of that cycle, but also learning to celebrate the life that was lived. I'm so glad that you like caught on to this because I was thinking that there had to be some sort of metaphor in the whole baby thing happening. And I'm like, birth, birth. And I'm like, magic and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Magic and shit. But that made me think about Davos and Melisandre. Like mm-hmm. in that same notion, it reminds me so much of Davos, Melisandre, and of course the shadow baby. Um, yeah. Oh, so much yeah, of yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. A shadow baby being born in some aspects here attracting shadow the others born. it's like a star is born yeah a shadow baby born that would be a product that i would market i really wanted a baby born i never got it because my mom said that the milk in the bottle would mold like probably because you probably know like right. they pooped and stuff those dolls and their hair oh, grew right. or whatever I yeah, yeah those dolls were nuts they don't make that shit for a reason but yeah my mom was like they'll mold the poop and the food molds oh <sighs> And you have to, like, clean the doll inside and out. It's not worth it. Just so. like a real baby, yeah. A shadow baby born might be more economical. It might. That's be true. You probably don't need to clean it as much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, there's a couple of things that are very reminiscent, though, of Melisandre and Davos in this chapter. Like, this is the chapter where Sam eats the onion. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that the as well, onion. the onion. The rot, and that he cut it away mm. and it was still good. And I think that's really... Yeah. Like, I mean, that's we believe that of the chapter, too, right? It, right yeah. now, if you that's how the Night's Watch is viewed at Craster's. They look down if, as mm. if the onion was all black, and then there was a lot of rot yeah. in Craster's Keep at that time after. Yeah. Like they cut the and, wrong part of the onion out. I mean, it's also kind of the philosophy, right, to an extent mm-hmm. of some of the people, not all of them that, they, that go to the Night's Watch. You know, some of them, they're sent for punishment or whatever, but... How do you learn to grow the good parts, you know? Especially in a frozen tundra when there's no place to do so. Oh, I meant people's hearts, but yes, that too. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's not like your environment is actually, like, helpful. That's true. Yeah. This is the worst place to try and learn to be good. (laughs) It's also the worst place to try to be alive. That is how I feel about the wintertime in general. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Bannon is dying, right? Bannon is dying, and they have him covered in furs, they're stoking the fire, but all he's able to continue saying is, I'm cold. Please, I'm so cold. He won't swallow the very thin, feeble onion broth being fed to him. Craster says he's as good as dead. It'd be kinder to kill him. Giant, who's a man who's no more than five feet tall, also known as Bedwick, is begrudging Craster's shitty advice, saying... Food and fire, that's all we asked of you, and you grudge us the food. Craster says, be happy I didn't grudge you the fire. Yeah. It's just like the epitome of like, go on, give them nothing to Craster right here. Uh, He's a thick man, wearing smelly sheepskins. He's got a drooping mouth and a missing ear. He's got gray hair and strong enough fists. He spits, saying he... Didn't need their hungry crow mouths either, that crows never bring good to a man's hall, and you know what? I would take umbrage with that. Small Paul would also debate that. Sam continues taking care of the ranger, who faintly says that he is cold. A maester might have known how to save this man, but they unfortunately had no maester. Kedge, wide-eyed, did his best. You know, he took Bannon's foot off nine days before this day it was gouty and like full of puss and then i'm so cold repeats bannon 
A ragged score of black brothers are all crouching around the hall, squatting, drinking cups of thin onion broth and chewing hard bread. Some are wounded worse than Bannon. Fornio, Byam. Brown Benner had brought bags of different healing herbs. Mirish fire, mustard salve, ground garlic, tansy, same book, mm. ah, poppy, king's copper, even sweet sleep. But Brown Benner had died on the fist. No one thought to yeah. bring the medicine. Yikes. Yikes. And the only person that would have, like, understood how to do any of it would be Hake, who knew herb lore, but Hake was lost on the fist. He was one of the men that were lost. And, you know, it, you talk about how Craster has no ear, right? He's missing an mm-hmm. ear. Reminds me of Vargo Hote, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of assholes that get their ears taken off. He also uh, sucks, that's true. Yeah, he also sucks. This is kind of one of those moments we need one of our friends, Micah, here. You know, he knows these mm-hmm. names. He knows all these mm-hmm. names by heart. I feel like George is having a very fun time with all these names because there's just so many new people, so many background names. He has 41 characters to name, you know, so he's not naming all of them, but he named a good handful. Somewhere in this chapter, there's even more, but a good couple or few that he's only named a couple times or is naming for the first time here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And every time you come across another one, you're like, oh, Hake, another one I gotta learn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hake goes back, though. I'll give him that. He's uh, an got boy. Hake's been here for a while. Make mm. no Miss Hake about it. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I agree. It's There's so many names in these, but I think what's interesting about this moment where they're struggling so hard is it really goes to show how lacking in the in knowledge that the Night's Watch is right now, right? We, we've give, been given a sense of, like, how bare bones the functions and operations are because so many people are missing, like, on those basic levels. But here, like, this is survival. You compare them to, like, some of the other towns that aren't the Night's Watch, just, like, any town in general. And this kind of knowledge would have likely been passed down by, you know, village healers, hedge witches, right? Septons, etc. People who who knew the, that herb lore, like Hake within families but these people have been separated from their families etc and i think it really drives home the desperation of the night's watch for a maester and how that becomes important in sam's storyline and also that this lack of transfer of knowledge between generations like it's not just that they lost that knowledge about dragon glass from fucking like centuries or thousands of years ago as mormont laments but again even these like basic necessary survival skills that are relatively i think i would say commonplace not like super common right but enough yeah it shows what emphasis that westeros really puts on that too like Mm -hmm. not just watch but you know before they came here what they know and yeah it does make me think that some of the free folk women at crafters had they brought that medicine and had they somehow, you know, been able to make it out with them, the free folk woman would probably be able to some, yeah. help. Yeah, they seem to really know their way around. I mean, they cook, they clean, they put up with Craster's shit. I mean, if and if so many of them are giving birth all mm-hmm. the time, they have to know some sense of, I think, herb lore medicine in order to yeah, know, help each other recover. Yeah. They Obviously, they're very much playing midwife roles in this episode for Gilly, in this chapter for Gilly. So I found that kind of interesting, especially yeah. juxtaposed against them, against the guys being like, what? We don't know. We couldn't. We didn't think we, we had to run. Yeah, they were like, we have very Zombies. specialized roles, but 
steward, builder, bit us in the ass. Ranger. It turns out sectioning uh, people like that is not smart. I don't know. No. I mean, it's like probably okay. Maybe they should involve it in the basic training, not just fighting. You know, if everyone yeah, learns basic fighting, it should be part of that like curriculum. Which is kind of like the whole metaphor. If you kick someone's ass or like if you get hurt, you got to know how to clean it up, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean up your mess. Well, the surviving stewards did have to care for the injured and dying. And again, they can do very little because, I mean, I guess at least currently they are dry as opposed to when they were in the snow but they are still hungry and they're running out of food clubfoot carl claims that craster must have had a hidden larder somewhere and garth of old town did too and all of this was of course outside of the hearing range of jader mormont <laughs> uh yeah sam thought about begging for more food for the wounded but he just thinks I have no courage for that. I can't Aww. be strong enough to do that. Whenever Craster looks at him, Sam's hands twitch as if they want to curl up into fists. <laughs> he wonders yeah. if Craster knows that he spoke with Gilly, and he thinks maybe he even beat it out of her. Oh, Sam. I love you so much, Sam. Craster obviously is reminding him of his father in, like, probably the menacing, threatening, intimidating way. You know, he's mean, he beats his kids, he's cruel, doesn't seem concerned about higher education. Yeah. Willing to kill his sons. Yeah. But I guess he doesn't know that yet, but kinda, he, he kinda will. does know that. He senses it. He kinda gets that sense from Gilly being like, we gotta get the kid out. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I also am like, oh, so he wants to curl his hands up into fists. I'm like, Sam, you're angry. That's good. Yeah. And, you know, that repetition again, right, of Sam saying he has no courage. But yet, when Craster complains about the Night's Watch being here at his keep, Sam is the first one to stand up and to argue against Craster to his face. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It's really brave. I think that's really brave. Like, he's the first one to and even do something, right? The yeah. other guys are doing things for themselves, but Sam's the only one that's trying to do something for someone else. He calls out that injustice, and that's... It's for some... Sam finds a strength when it's for someone else. Yeah. Believe that's in yourself, brave. Sam. Sometimes that's the, the first step. Yeah. <sighs> Sobbing. Sobbing. <sighs> so well, Sam is freezing cold right now, and he knows he needs sleep, but when he closes his eye, all he sees are the dead men with blue eyes and black hands. Besides, he's currently being accompanied by the soundtrack of Gilly giving birth, the call of push echoing from her sister's mouths and the sobs echoing down the hall. Craster calls up and he's like, I'm sick of her cries. Have her bite into a rag or I'll come beat her. Fucking Christ. Craster had 19 wives, but none interfere if he goes up the ladder. None did two nights before. The brothers had been upset, but they knew it was his roof, his rule. Craster's a friend of the watch, Ronald Hartley said. A friend, Sam thought, listening to Gilly's muffled shrieks. He was brutal. He sneered at them, called them frozen, frozen crows when they came in from the whites. But he did give them some hot wine and fire and space to lay. He fed them, but very meagerly. We are his guests, Sam reminded himself. Gilly's his. His daughter. His wife. His roof. His rule. The first time Sam had been to Craster's Keep, as you'll all remember, 
from the drawn chapters. Gilly had begged him for help. He had given her his black cloak to conceal her belly, also when she went to talk to John. Yeah, he remembers that and thinks about knights and how they're supposed to defend women and children, but not all of the Black Brothers are knights. They all say the words, though, Sam thinks. I am the shield that guards the realms of men. A woman was a woman, even a wildling woman. We should help her. We should. This aligns so well with the following chapter. Uh, I I love that, again, Sam's taking that bravery in others, in trying to help others. And in the next chapter, Arya comes across with the Brotherhood, and they speak on how some of them were once knights, swineherds, etc., while Sandor is sneering at them and questioning their idea of being a knight. We're brothers here, Thor Samir declared, holy brothers sworn to the realm, to our god, and to each other. The Brotherhood without banners, Tom of Seven Strings plucked a string, the Knights of the Hollow Hill. Knights? Clegane made the word a sneer. Dondarrion's a knight, but the rest of you? Sorriest lots of outlaws and broken men I've ever seen. I shit better men than you. I love that. I love just the talk of knights between them. And that entire chapter right after this chapter is just all about knighthood and broken knighthood and the brotherhood. And there are actually kind of a handful of memories of the brotherhood scattered through this chapter, too. You can kind of see them influencing Mm -hmm. some things. Like we talked about Melisandre and Davos with the idea of Gilly giving birth. But it also reminds me of them like birthing Lady Stoneheart. Or Barrett coming mm, back yeah, to life, yeah. you know? Giving life. And that's this book. Yeah, that is this book. There's a lot of stormy, stormy, sorty thingies going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of things that hold together well in this book, right? And I, I really like the way you've called out this thing about knighthood. Because, yeah, while some of the, the brothers are knights, not all of them, regardless, as is revisited throughout this chapter... There's that idea that, well, aren't they supposed to protect the realms of men, like anyone? And I think it's so important that we get Sam's perspective, like, of his memories meeting with Gilly, right? Not just when we saw it in the John chapters, because even before John goes on this adventure, Sam saw the humanity of the free folk, even those who would be considered abominations, right? By people like Stannis. I mean, he calls Gilly and her child abominations. And I think Gilly's really in a double bind here, maybe triple, maybe quadrupled. Gilly is in a bad place. (laughs) Uh, This is a bad place. And also, like, socially, right? Because the Night's Watch, first of all, they already dehumanize the free folk and see them as savage. They use that term later on. And as and even later, like we kind of get the sense that they see the free folk in a way as sort of un- inhuman. And then, of course, the Night's Watch come from Westeros, a very deeply extremist patriarchal society. I mean, of course, some of the free folk tribes are too, but as we see, there's a little difference in that agency. And, like, I mean, obviously the Night's Watch, probably, like, they could... They obviously can't even care less for free folk women. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, they definitely don't care about a free folk woman who is born of incest that they know is frequently raped by her father. Because um, they're like, wow, 
she's devalued in their eyes, right? And then on top of all of that, where her own father also devalues her, and then has forbidden her any humanity and the ability to speak to the Night's Watch. Um, so they're like, oh, that's off limits, right? Uh, that property thing. And they don't care about the suffering of Craster's, like, daughter wives. I mean... Maybe some of them like kind of scoff at it and are like, this is terrible, and they might voice that, but not enough to do anything, mm-hmm. right? John wasn't even willing to do anything, but you have Sam here, and Sam recognized Gilly's humanity from the beginning, um, who even before John's excursion, when John like meets and gets integrated into free folk society, Sam comes to that same conclusion that they are human and deserve protection as much as anyone south of the wall, without even having to, like, go through that, like, and meet any of them. He just knows it already from the beginning and believes that. And decides that Gilly as a person deserves protection, even from other people, not just from the others, not just from the whites, from other people. And you see him trying to talk himself out of it, right? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. this instinct of his that is so good. Um, You know, he's trying to see her through the lens of Westeros or Craster. He, He has that like he's reminding himself she's his daughter his wife his 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 craster's property not her own person and i will say that when we get to it like in the feast chapters i love how gilly reappropriates that phrase later on to claim her own power but in this moment sam is trying to justify that it's craster's rules this lawless land even though he knows deep in his heart that like some things they're right or wrong whether or not there's a law. And I just think it's a fantastic chapter when contextualized within the fact that this is our first Sam chapter after A Storm of Swords, Danny 3, which is the one where she leads that slave uprising in Asapor, and how Sam, like Daenerys, recognizes the humanity of people who are being oppressed. But it also, we end up getting this really good contrast we'll talk about later between how the mutineers act here compared to the way the Unsullied and the Freedmen act. Yes, absolutely. The the language alone is such great comparison. And especially as we consider like the slavery that's happening inside the house for these women, but also then in how Craster trades his child, his other children, his sons, and yeah. enslaves them yes. to that life. That's so strong. Uh, and, and even in a sense that like by the end of the chapter, Gilly's mom, we actually get to meet, which I'm excited to talk about, but it's almost like mm. she's giving her away, right? In a very horrible yeah, yeah. ice wedding of run, get the fuck out with your child and run while you can uh, and letting her go to like a different life where the front of the chapter is all about his rules Right, and how Craster values people or devalues them and sees them as currency, which Sam, of course, is so used to in his life because everything with his father is just seen as a currency, right? People are money, especially with what we saw in Brienne's chapters. Like you said, I I think there's just like a lot there and we'll get into it in a bit. Yes. Gilly is frightened for her child. She's scared it's going to be a boy. No boys survive Craster's keep. Gilly says he gives them to the gods. Sam prays for Gilly to have a daughter. While Gilly screams above, Bannon dies below, coldly. Sam tries to Mm. keep the fire going for him. Craster, meanwhile, is gnawing on a sausage. Sounds delicious right now. What kind of sausage? It's probably one of those blackened little (laughs) garlic ones, and it sounds Mm. delicious. You know, the ones that are good once you chew on them for a while? Yep, yep. Yep. We discussed them last episode a little. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I'm thinking about it, like some beef jerky stuff going on, you know, some hard mm-hmm. sausage, some shark to the cootery. <sighs> Man, 
<laughs> so Craster's gnawing on a very delicious sausage, apparently. And he's very annoyed at the wails of his birthing daughter wife. Sausages for him, sausages for the wives, but nothing for the watch, George writes. I love that line. It's very fun. Uh, it's like very dark, you know, like, but nothing for the watch. Craster crudely talks about how he had a fat sow that was quieter during childbirth than Gilly. He says, God, it was near as fat as you, Slayer. He laughs, and Sam stumbles out, upset, sick of Craster's shit, exiting through the door of the keep. Uh, the deer hide flaps into the cloudy day. Yeah, I mean, just Craster does not hide at all that he thinks of his daughter's wives as, like, animals. He's like, yeah, I just sound like this. I'm like, what the fuck? Also, that is probably bad of him to, to remind everyone about his sow, now that I think about it. It comes up later on in this chapter. They're like, what about the pigs? Yeah. Anyway. Fool- foolish step there, Craster. Don't remind them about your pigs. The storm had passed. The days weren't as bitter cold. They still suck. Sam can hear the icicles melting, steadily dripping, and he looks around. To the west, Olo Lophand and Tim Stone feed and water the horses. Downwind, brothers are butchering and skinning animals that aren't able to go on. Spearmen and archers stand guard behind the earthen dikes surrounding Craster's keep. In the distance, axes are at work in the forest, harvesting enough wood to keep them warm through the nights. Because nights are the bad time, the dark, the cold time. They hadn't been attacked by whites lately, which was weird, and Craster says, well, that's because I'm a godly man. Your swords and fires won't help you. When the white cold comes, only God's help then. You better get right with white zombie Jesus. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Craster's really so selling it. Lady Stoneheart? Yeah. Jesus, right! Fuck. <laughs> uh, it was fuck. three days. Delete. She was Delete. dead three days, came I'd back. I'd like to yeah. speak to the manager. <laughs> fuck, no, I don't want to. Um, uh, no manager. I mean, it is, it is kind of crazy, though, because I can just hear it in my head like, now nah, listen here, son. Y'all better get right. Get right with your gods. Are you just channeling the, like, fucking Eli Jumpstone? Misbehaving. Gilly had told them of the offerings Craster made to his gods, and Sam had wanted to kill him when he heard. There are no laws beyond the wall, though, and Craster was friend to the watch. Allegedly. And, you know, again, bringing it back to that ASOS Danny 3 chapter, the complacency of the Night's Watch. I mean, they just, like, think it's none of their business, and... That this is just how things are at Craster's. And they just accept these injustices. Very much like how Barristan and Jorah give advice to Daenerys, right? Daenerys re refuses to accept that system of slavery. Even though Barristan thinks that, oh, it wouldn't affect her. Just turn away from this. Don't do anything about it. Whereas Jorah's like, you know what would be really good for your cause and beneficial to you? Buying slaves! Right. Maybe, you know, it is a little bit like how J.R. Wright is benefiting from Craster's hospitality. I mean, it's not it's not exactly like a one-to-one -one also, but... Right, And also, like... J.R.'s not benefiting that much, but allegedly. No, but it, it is hard, because it's like, obviously he's barely, barely straining to, like, recover, and he knows that all these men, like, they need to get the fuck out, because turns out Craster is much more of a dick than he remembers. Right, he's like, wow, it was unbearable in years past, but now it's really unbearable. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And yet they're still like, well, this is just how things are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam hears a shout from behind the hall and pulls himself through the muddy slush to go check it out. There's a lot of just, like, 
landscape and walking through landscapes in good or bad ways in Sam's chapters. Some of his brothers are loosing arrows <laughs> at a butt of hay and straw. Ulmer, who had been in the Kingswood Brotherhood in his youth, pulls an arrow from his quiver. It's now gray and stooping, and he claims that he had once put an arrow through the white bull's hand to steal a kiss from a Dornish princess. He stole her jewels too, and a chest of golden dragons, but her skin was the biggest boast. So he shoots an arrow now right next to Donnell's arrow. Yeah, he's like, I still got it, motherfuckers. I've still got it. I, uh, I actually thought that was so funny, and I, I, I can't remember whose chapter we hear it through later. I think it might be Barristan or Jamie that we hear, like, a re- a similar thing about this, that Elia was there. So it was Elia, obviously, that was the Dornish princess that he kissed, quote-unquote. But he's also known for telling tall tales, Ulmer is, so- very interesting that, like, you know, he remembers kissing her. Maybe that's his unkiss. Maybe he didn't really. Maybe he didn't really. Hmm. 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 Interesting. Yeah, it's a I, good, I uh, know. It's a good little tall tale to have. I mean, also, you know, it basically it just says that the white bull was defending Princess Elia, you know, at the time. Yeah, and that he to took an arrow through the hand only. And that's, yeah, that's I think, what the, yeah, that's it. So, I think it's a tall tale, Ulmer. I don't know if you stole a kiss. I doubt Elio would want to kiss you. Maybe she did, though. Maybe. I mean... Maybe she did, and he didn't steal it at all, which... It's the unkiss all over again. The unkiss. Elia and Ulmer. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Uh, I actually like some of this talk we get, though, because it's a good mini exposition. Not a lot of exposition, but just a little bit of a, remember the Kingswood Brotherhood? Uh, Ulmer tries to tell his tale one more time of them, and they all kind of shut him down. But, of course, Sam, listening, thinks of Simon Toyne and the Smiling Knight, Oswin Longneck, the Thrice Hanged, Wendy the White Fawn, Fletcher Dick, Big Belly Ben, and all the rest. So Sweet Donnell uses Sam as an excuse to ignore this tale, asking him to show them how he slayed the other. And then Sam, of course, turns red, saying, It wasn't with an arrow, it was with dragonglass. Besides, he knew it would happen if he took the bow, and he just, like, would rather not embarrass myself. I know that feeling. There are many mm -hmm. things that I'm like, but what if I didn't? <laughs> <laughs> so the men egg him on with mocking smiles. Mean Jess. You gotta throw it back to them, Sam. That's how I get it out of these situations. But Sam tries to leave instead. That is, until his boot, unfortunately, sinks into the mud. Embarrassed, though, you know, with all that suction and the sticky mud, his boot ends up coming off, and then the snow melt, like, gets through to his toes. It actually sounds really terrible. This sounds so uncomfortable. He feels very useless and thinks that his father was right. He's like, I have no right to be alive when so many brave men are dead. Oh, Sam. <sighs> yeah, he's having a hard go of it. Like, nothing's worse than getting your foot wet in the snow. I grew up in Michigan. You know what I mean? I know how that goes. That sucks. And it's interesting, this whole conversation about the outlaws are coming in, the Kingswood Brotherhood is coming in, because the mutineers kind of go outlaw, outlaw right at the end. They kind mm. of go outlaw country, rogue as fuck. They're like, we're slitting throats. We're eating stuff from the cellar. We're raping chicks. It's wild. It's like a vice city mixed with a, I don't know, grand theft night watch. It's uh, a little violent. And I mean, you have the Brotherhood in the very next chapter who isn't necessarily doing those things, 
right? Like, they're still against violence, mostly, mm-hmm. on most levels, I think. But also, they try Sandor Clegane in the next chapter on, like, total rumors, right? And put him through their justice system. And he passes, because, again, amen. But, praise be to he. But. Praise be to he. Praise be to he. Why did I snort? Because <laughs> I'm pretty funny. But, like, they are obviously bordering on getting a little crazier, that Brotherhood Without Banners. And, I don't know, maybe that's just Red Wedding 2.0 crap, but it's interesting the parallels being drawn between the Kingswood Brotherhood going a little nut-nut, and then here, this this Brotherhood is about to go a little bit nut-nut here at the Wall, at Craster's Keep, I should say, you know. It does make me wonder, I love this name, Oswin Longneck, the Thrice Hanged. We don't get shit about him, but it totally makes me think of Beric and Stoneheart because of, you know, hanging. But it's just hanging out. But the Thrice Hanged makes me think that motherfucker must not die. It does sound like that, right? Or he has like a similar legend around him. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, his name Longneck makes me think of the land before time. And the no. long-necked dinosaurs. Oswin yeah. could not fly, Eliana. No, no, no. You don't. You don't think he'd be like a, a dinosaur. You don't think he'd love those tree stars. I mean, no. I was quoting Ducky. So oh, I said I Oswin could not Oswin. fly. Oswin cannot fly. No, no, no. <laughs> oh no, no, no. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, I, I I think that what you're saying here regarding all of these different brotherhoods is very spot on, and I'm I am curious to see how that's going to develop later on. And it is interesting that we get so much of that exposition here, so far away from the river books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's showing the same thing kind of happening mm-hmm. throughout the nation and out of the nation currently. Yeah, and also that lore, that backstory on the Kingswood Brotherhood. And what more does to dudes and dudes, yeah. you know? Gren is tending the fire pit when Sam arrives and he jokes, ah, others got your boot. And Sam's like, too fucking soon, Gren, too fucking soon. <laughs> it's been like 10 minutes. He calls him Slayer and Sam's like, please don't call me that. It's just a different way of calling me a coward. Like how they call Bedwick a giant. Gren is like, you're being ridiculous. You slayed an other I get scared too, you know, he says. He even says that he used to be afraid of John. Sam's in his head like, used to be? Everyone's afraid of John. John was fast, quick, and fought like he meant to kill him. I never said, though. Sometimes I think everyone's pretending to be brave, and none of us really are. Maybe pretending is how you get brave. I don't know. Let them call you Slayer. Who cares? I I, I love that line from Gren. It's true. Yeah. It's like big true. Everyone is pretending, dude. Everyone is suffering all the time, Sam. Yeah, I'm I mean, suffering. that's why some of them call him the Slayer. Yeah. They're scared and insecure. Yeah. yeah, it makes them feel better to have that little nickname. And Sam protests. He's like, well, you didn't like being called Aurochs, Gren. And Gren's like, yeah, but I don't care about my friends saying it because I am big and strong. Like, wouldn't you rather be the Slayer than Sir Piggy? And Sam finally sits down on this wet log and he's like, why can't I just be Sam Tarly? And if that's not the epitome of Sam's plot. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of these characters, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that... That's what being a teenager is about. This is what Euphoria is about. Why can't I just be Sam Tarly? No, I'm joking. That's not what Euphoria is about at all. It kind <laughs> of is. Some, 
Sometimes. That's just what teenage shows. Teenage Look, none of those sometimes. girls are concerned with higher education right now, except unless it's, like, higher education. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. drugs. Drugs. Yeah. Well, the only drugs that we have here right now are, I don't know, magic, undead, resurrection. But... <laughs> When it comes to this whole, like, concept of Sam being called the Slayer or not, I do think, for once, both sides do have points. As Gren points out, I mean, context does matter, right? When you're called something, there is, like, you can re redefine what a name means. Again, just as Gilly does later on when she insists that she is not a lady, and she says, I'm Craster's wife and Craster's daughter, and she proclaims that, and... and gives that a different definition. But I also think Sam has a point, right? He isn't just a story. He's not Sir Piggy, and he's not just a slayer, whether it's said mockingly or not. He is Sam, and when does he get to define what that means for himself and, and for others to see it? Like, when does he get to really say his own narrative and not the ones that others have written for him and, and the names that they have given him? Yeah, when does he get to write his narrative? Well, when you get into the Citadel University, Sam. <laughs> you can write the A Song of Ice and Fire. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, it's going to be just like the show based on the books that have already come out. This is the book that Sam wrote. <laughs> In that show. Sam needs to put out another one because I'm gripped. I'm fucking gripped. Not uh, Gren and Pip, which is the ship name, Grip, oh, but I am yeah. gripped in that too. So Sam really doesn't like being called Sam the Slayer because he claims the dagger did it, not Sam, which is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Many of the guys didn't believe him, right? They'd accused him of being a liar, but Dywin listened, and Ed, and then Sam and Gren told the Lord Commander what happened, and Jor started asking all these questions, and then asked Sam for all of the dragon glass that he had left, which is not that much. He thinks about the cash John buried beneath the fist. It makes him want to cry. Copious amounts of daggers and spearheads. At least 300 were there. John had made daggers and spears and given out arrowheads to Gren, Mormont, and Sam, but now they're running out. All they have is Mormont's dagger, the one Sam gave Gren, 19 arrows and a tall hardwood spear with a dragon glass head. So Sam feeling regret and like hopelessness when thinking of the daggers and the arrowheads makes me also feel very sad. <laughs> Yeah, and it reminds me, you know, the big thing of the John chapter a couple before this is Egret being sad they don't find the Horn of Winter. Yes, yes, it does have a very similar energy. Mm -hmm. Similar reasons. Similar reasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mormont had divided the arrows between his best bowmen, Muttering Bill, Garth Greyfeather, Ronald Harclay, Sweet Donald Hill, and Alan of Rosby and Ulmer. But soon enough, they'd be down to fire arrows, because at the fist, if you'll all remember, they loosed hundreds of fire arrows. But the whites just kept coming. Crasher's defenses were only mud and melting snow now, not enough to slow the whites, and they had easily swarmed the ring wall at the fist. And there had been, of course, 300 brothers to fight them last time, and now there were only 41. Things are going great. And nine of those are also too badly hurt to fight. Things are going really swell. Gren and Sam wonder, why the Whites haven't come to finish them yet? This is very suspicious, and they ponder. <laughs> is it the cold that brings the Whites? Or the Whites that bring the cold? 
Gren thinks it doesn't matter. They come together. I mean, yeah, he's he's got a point. Who cares? Your shit's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that, like, something feels suspicious, but nobody has figured it yep. out yet. Like, why are the defenses this bad? Maybe like they're afraid kept... of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you kept bringing up last episode horror story shit. Mm-hmm. Well... They're like, oh, maybe the whites and the others are now finally afraid of the Night's Watch and their deadly dragon glass. Thanks, Gren. And Sam wishes that that were the case. I don't know if you like, I wish it were like that, but I don't think it is. He has a feeling it is not. I relate heavily to that sentiment. And he thinks of, it seemed to him that when you were dead, fear had no more meaning than pain or love or duty. <laughs> and there's something about the sentiment that really strikes me, especially after the Brienne chapters, the Night's Watch for men like Omer, right? It's this sort of like rebirth or second shot at life, whereas for men, other men like Darian, it very much was an unjust punishment. And as we've brought up in the past, you know, of course, the whole construct of the Night's Watch and like sending people there in this penal colony, it's all very problematic. But we've talked about that before, so we're going to just glaze over that. Um... There's obviously discussion about resurrection in this chapter because, as you know, it is a big part of the last two chapters of Sam. It's a very big part of the story. There are whites. And also, I think, some interesting nudges about John. But again, in the context of the Brienne chapters, this idea of broken men, right, there as, as men who have lost joy in life and duty and pain and love, right, um... We've seen in Brienne's chapters some broken men who are, I would say, resurrected, right? And I don't mean Lady Stoneheart. I mean people like Septon Maribald and the Elder Brother. They are resurrected in a way through a god. It's not the old gods or, or the cruel ones of the others or R'hllor. They're resurrected through the faith of the Seven and this idea of, of again, being undead, rebirth, but th- through faith. Yeah, I-, I think the broken men theme is... Like, as as we've been saying this whole entire time so far, it's coming up for this episode more than I really expected it to yeah. like, for this chapter. I did not expect to see so much broken man, kind of, the broken man lore episode going on. Uh, and it does harken back to, it reminds me of two things, both same chapters, same relation, but Maester Aemon, right? And in that same token mm. as Maester Aemon, Ned... And of course that we get a quote talking about pain, love, and duty, and fear having no more meaning than pain or love or duty after you've died and been reanimated. And there's a specific line where Eamon's talking about the men of the Watch, right? Not just, you know, not talking about other people. Men of the Watch in general, or a man of certain caliber saying, So they will not love, for love is the bane of honor, the death of duty. The Night's Watch aren't supposed to love right? They're supposed to choose their duty and choose their death and choose the wall and choose the ice and choose the order of the north. But it also harkens right back to Ned, to the Ned part of Eamon's speech. <laughs> the Ned part. Yes. What is honor yes. compared to a woman's love? What is duty against the feel of a newborn son in your arms or a brother's smile? And Sam uses this chapter as a stepping stone to actually encompass all of these themes of conquering his fear, right? To be brave for Gilly, 
and to get Gilly out of this place where she's suffering, this place that he's been in, in inside himself and in real life with his own father of pain and abuse. And uh, that duty can be yeah. feeling a newborn son in your arms as well. It's not just choosing one, right? He can choose the newborn son, a brother's smile, going back to the wall, getting them back. Um, I think Sam has, is going to really find a way to encompass all of these things that he loves in the end, hopefully, and conquer his fear. I think I think I want that for him. But I think this is a step towards that with helping Gilly and surviving the slaughter in this chapter, because yeah. that's unfucking believable In that he's experienced love from all these different places. He might not have gotten it from Randall, but mm-hmm. he's, as you said, experiencing love and different kinds of duty in different contexts. Um in very, I think, healthy, mostly healthy ways, right? Like, and so, I, 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 yeah, I think that's a great call that he'll probably find a way to incorporate all of these. Yeah, just the the structure of the sentence in general really made me think of the Amon speech, and I don't know, I think yeah, there's a lot of Amon in true. this chapter in some aspects of that, too, like, just of, you know... Everything he said about men of the watch and of their, you know, how how they deal with things at the wall and what being a man of the watch really truly means and what he said to John. I think Sam's embodying mm-hmm. a lot of that speech. And like you said, for Ulmer, this is a rebirth, right? And for Sam, it might not feel that way right now, but it is also a rebirth for Sam. I mean, this is his yep. second chance to like, he's realizing I'm I'm not a coward. Like, I can do some things. I can kill another. I can save this chick and her baby. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in regards to faith, right? Like, it was a religious faith that helped bring back Septon Maribald and the elder brother. But for Sam, I don't think it was that kind of faith. It was sort of a faith of, in himself that was inspired by, as we discussed last episode, right? Inspired by Jon Snow. You know, mm-hmm. knowing that someone else believed in him. And I think that's part of, like... You know, John's obviously a big motivating factor for for Sam, right? He misses John. He's like, John wouldn't have called him Slayer, but unfortunately, as we all know, John is off now with Corn Halfhand, and they have had no word of him. And we have this line of, "He had a dragon glass dagger too, but did he think to use it? Is he lying dead and frozen in some ravine, or worse, is he dead and walking?" For real. And some would call this maybe a subtle stab at the future, one could say. Uh, you know, a very subtle stab, just a little knifing toward the future. Uh, given Mormont's death, right, in this chapter, at the hands of his brothers, his sworn brothers, and, of course, with what's happening, we're seeing them rise because Mormont is trying to, like, uphold a little bit of honor and a little bit of duty, right, and do the right thing, which... I mean, again, we see that happen traditionally with Rob and Catelyn in the Mm. same exact respect, too, that they're all trying to do the honorable thing. Mormont says, stop it. Like, don't be fucking like, we hate this guy, but you can't just be an asshole. Like, you have to wait till we leave. We can shit talk him forever. Not knowing, obviously, the poison seed has already been planted. That's an interesting thing regarding do the right thing and honor, because Sam's storyline really, I think walks that line, tiptoes that line between what's lawful and what's honorable and what's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, navigating it, and also what's lawful, honorable, and right to different people. Right? Yeah. 
mm-hmm. his dad versus Jor versus Aemon versus yeah. John. <laughs> John. Jor was not a dad to Sam. Yeah, only and a John. No, that's very true. And Jor is very tough love, as we're going to see in a minute here. Um, mm-hmm. A real gruff. And, I mean, still nicer than his father was to him. But, you know, it's not really hard yeah. to do, so I, I mean, don't know that I'd brag. Low. Yeah, I don't know that <laughs> I'd brag about low. it. I mean, he drove yeah. one kid away, you know. Uh, <laughs> just saying, J.R., you I can mean, do with being nicer. Honor's very interesting, and the men dying for their honor. And it, it is, J.R. is, in some aspects, the, the figurehead of the kind of, like, I'm Ned for the Night's Watch, I'm your new daddy. But... Way different. Does die for honor in some aspects. Along with Corin, and <laughs> yeah, along with all your other dads. Uh, pick one. So Sam thinks why the gods would take John and Bannon instead of me, craven, clumsy me. I do not know. He could have died in the snow on the fist or in the woods if Paul didn't carry him. He daydreams about becoming a white himself, waking up on the fist with his brothers, even John and Ghost, or waking up not a white, being at Castle Black, going to get a bowl of Hobbs cream of wheat and a pad of butter melting in the middle of it, a dollop of honey. Oh, that sounds good. It makes his stomach rumble. Is a cream of wheat like an oatmeal? Yeah, uh, it's softer usually than that. But okay. Yeah. It's similar. Have- it's like ground instead of oats. It's ground oats. All right. I'm learning today. You'd like it. Sometimes it gets these cute little clumps that like are flavor bombs. I love them. I like how you call them cute. It's like uh, polenta. If I could, like, it's like a warm, soupy polenta almost. Interesting. I do like polenta. You'd like it on I the think. other, on the other end of the digestive system. So in this moment, Sam says that like he had pissed himself three times. Like I guess when. The Whites Attack the Fist. And I just want to say, like, I think I need to reread that first chapter again, because I only remember Sam pissing twice, not thrice. Oh, that's interesting. I'm the unreliable narrator. <laughs> but it works. Maybe George is just thinking about um, Sam. The unpiss. Oh, the okay. unpiss, that too. But also maybe he's <laughs> thinking about like, the uh, the horns. And maybe that's why he's thinking of mm. it. Maybe he just accidentally was like, yeah, three, like the horns. Maybe, maybe. George, George, George. <laughs> when you pee once, that's for rangers returning. Well, next time next well. week, please tell me. Please update yeah. us on this one if you reread it and you realize if it's a little mistake. Because we're just going to have to ask him about that one. Yeah. Another thing is, like, it is so sad to see Sam constantly think... He's not worth life or like dealing with the survivor's guilt and then again using that to kind of be down on himself. But I do love how this scene shows us what Sam dreams of or daydreams of, right? Like the place that he'd rather be. Last chapter with Yoke Boy, we saw Sam saying that if he died, he wanted it to be alongside his brothers. He sees them as his brothers now of the Night's Watch. And here we see those daydreams like, he's with John and Ghost, or he's back at Castle Black. None of these are Hornhill. And I think it's because thanks to John and his friends, Castle Black has very much, like, this is cementing it, that Castle Black is his home now, which I think makes it doubly hurtful. Like, now he's settled, he's found a home, somewhere that he's comfortable. When John sends him away, 
in A Feast for Crows. And, you know, obviously we'll come back to that in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, that is going to be kind of gut-wrenching, right? Oh, man, I don't want to have to watch it from that aspect. It's sadder. John yeah. girl bossing was more fun from his POV. Girl bossing yeah. too close to the sun. He thought he was doing the right thing, you know, but who knows? Now he's dead. <laughs> Rip that he's bitch. Like, I'm cold, just like Bannon. That's how we know. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, in a ravine somewhere. Mormont's raven circles the fire then, murmuring, snow, and beating his big wings. And if there's ever been a chapter where Blood Raven is more vibing between the margins than this one, I have to know because it's so obvious he's just chilling. He's like spying. He's ever he's like corn, sun, snow. You know, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows yeah. if you've been nice. It, it's got to be though. Like this fucking Raven is out of control. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, he's got so many words. This chapter. <sighs> It's all very ominous. And the Lord Commander emerges not long after on his horse, conversing with Ronald Harclay that their time in Crasters is coming to an end. He wants them to return to the wall ASAP. Mormont then sees Sam that and, and bellows to him, telling him to shut his mouth and follow him. We have a line of, The words tumble down in a squeak. Lord Commander Mormont gave him a withering look. You are a man of the Night's Watch. Try not to soil your small clothes every time I look at you. Come, I said. Okay, Sam has only peed three times. In his life. First of all. Allegedly. Yeah, according Allegedly. to him. <laughs> uh, I... Sam hurry. <laughs> okay. This was like, I felt bad for Sam in that because it's very much so not dissimilar to how his dad spoke to him you know a little yeah. condescending a little rough like all right mormon we get it all right leave sam be you know he's gentle he's fragile like me i'm fragile i, I couldn't deal mm -hmm. with that i'd cry but i'm soft yeah sam does try to keep up he's like all right fine whatever he tries to keep up jor starts to discuss the dragon glass daggers with him and sam says we need to get dragon glass to arm the men with Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I love that he really starts to explain to Sam the context at the wall and past the wall that like this is not this wall is not real like it's a real wall but it's like it was not made for the purposes everybody shuts their eyes and pretends it was made for Sam you don't build a 700 foot wall to keep savages out it's made to guard us from something much darker for the realms of men, not against the realms of men, which is what the free folk are. They're men, he says. But now the true enemy's at their door and the Night's Watch doesn't know how to fight it. I really respect that Mormont gets it. Like, at least he lets on finally. Hey, you know this is like, everything's kind of a lie in Westeros about what we do here. And this all just is confirming it, all these zombies. Uh, the free folk were just born there. Right? Like, they aren't, like, some evil, magical, horrible people. They were born on the other side of the wall that was erected. They're not monsters. No more than the Westerosi men here at Craster's Keep, right? That are going to show their true colors very soon. He, he really says that, like, had Mormont made it back, 
maybe he would have been able to do some of the similar decisions that John does and maybe better decisions. Maybe because of who he is, they might have happened a little better, been integrated a little better. I don't know. I think it's interesting that through all the stress of battling north of the wall like this, only when you've witnessed it firsthand, this iced out war, right? That the free folks' life is a nightmare. They spend every day trying to tend the fires, making sure their family isn't murdered in the dead of night by ice zombies. Or they sacrifice their family to keep them away, like Craster, which is just as heartless. And there's that whole metaphor of like birthing a child and then having it torn from your arms to raise it into an army of unfeeling yeah. cold ones. Uh, to continue that trend, to raise more of those children into the industrial human to other war slavery pipeline. And a lot of what you're talking about with Danny's plot, right? And meeting the unsullied and having them torn from their mother's breast. And it's just like a, it's rough. Like you can see that the life out here for the free folk is not great. The Um. wall between them hasn't really helped that. Maybe they deserve access to resources. Maybe it's not good. You know, there's, like, two terrible choices. And Craster, obviously, is also very much a minority among the free folk. They're all like, that person's a weirdo. We're not mm-hmm. like that man. And, um, but what you're saying, right, about this parallel of what we're being told might be happening to Craster's sons and and um, the slavery plotline in Danny's story I mean I think you're absolutely spot on with like the way that that pipeline is sort of like being developed in both and and what's being hinted at right like Mm -hmm. I think Danny's thing is kind of set up it's priming us to figure out like what is happening in this chapter as we start like kind of getting little little tidbits yeah and it's priming these characters right like each of these characters seems like they're going, like the front runners, Sam, Danny, they're going to be crucial in trying to figure out maybe a chance mm. at a life different than this, you know, in Westeros. I think they're going to be critical yeah. characters involved. They're going to be really critical to the team to be involved on a daily basis. You know, I'm going to need you in meetings from yeah. 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Danny and Sam. If only, yep, yep. if only. That'd be great. Talk policy. <laughs> Come on, Selena. I mean, you know, in terms of like, and I, I, as everyone knows, I love, I love Medieval Land, Fun Time World, and that is the show that I wish I had. Like legitimately, I really wish I had that show. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, and Sam's gonna write this book, so. Oh my god! Absolutely. Mormont asks if the dragon glass is truly made by dragons, and Sam says the maesters say it comes from the fires of the earth, and it's called obsidian. And Jero's like. Uh, nerd. Jr. first of all, is like, yeah, I don't give a shit. He's like, you're fucking nerd, what they call it. And he tells them that John had found more on the fist, but trails off. And Sam tells Jr. that, you know what? John had found more on the fist, but then trails off, because turns out it doesn't really do them much good to reach the fist without the weapons that they would need to defeat everyone to <laughs> get to the fist in the first place. I felt this this feeling in, um, video games sometimes and they're just gonna have to find dragon glass elsewhere darn too bad they don't have any dragons around to make the glass mm. and the dragon you know i'm just kidding time to sacrifice some kids oh my god if i were stannis baratheon 
yeah, at least like trade Shireen for something good, Stannis. God, not for a fake fucking throne that won't matter someday. Um, Dragonglass feels like it would matter. I'm just kidding. Don't trade her at all. Especially not for flames. I think that there's so much in Dragonglass becoming important in the story. It's it's starting to rise. And not just Dragonglass, but also in the chapter directly before this, the Tyrion chapter. It's the chapter to deal with Valyrian steel, because ice gets melted down into two. The sword was lighter than he expected. As he turned it in his hand, he saw why. Only one metal could be beaten so thin and still have strength enough to fight with, and there was no mistaking those ripples. The mark of steel has been folded back on itself many thousands of times. Valyrian steel? Yes, Lord Tywin said in a tone of deep satisfaction. At long last, father, Valyrian steel blades were scarce and costly, yet thousands remained in the world, perhaps two hundred in the Seven Kingdoms alone. It had always irked his father, none belonged to House Lannister. So, ice has been melted down to the glory of House Lannister in the last chapter to Oathkeeper and Widow's Wail. We have the big theme of the Obsidian becoming really crucial for them, north of the Wall. And a sword tempered with dragon fire seems like it may or may not, spoiler, it will, as we know, uh, be crucial, right, in the north. Like, very critical to survive the fucking ice zombies with some sort of magical sword. Yeah, uh, I didn't realize or piece together that that was literally the chapter right before this one. It does feel significant. That convinces me more because I know, like, after the show, I was like, I can't just be Valyrian Steel, right? Like, that's that's me. That's how I feel. That's my voice. Um. Yeah, it is <laughs> so actually, I, don't know. I will it say that's is. one of my biggest show complaints is, I mean, the magic and lore is obviously to be fucking desired, right? Like, everyone craves some actual real lore and magic in that show. And they obviously just don't know how to best do it or didn't give a shit about it and thought they could do it without it. You know, water it down for the other nerds that aren't actually nerds. But turns out people like it. Like, the Valyrian steel- I thought we were gonna be fucking manufacturing Valyrian fucking steel as soon as those Westerosi, you know, dragons appeared. Like, as soon as we got some dragons from the east, come on in, Gendry's out there, he's got his axe to grind, he's like, let's go, I'm turning everyone- And we got spears or whatever, I think there were spears, now that I say that. They had- they did yeah. make obsidian yeah, yeah, spears. Yeah, they did stuff, yeah. But, like, where and, was uh, the- Arya got her thing, yeah. Well, I guess it might also- we've talked, I think, before, and many people have- chatted about ideas but i think it might also take blood blood magic now that i say that yeah, there might be a blood sacrifice need to be made to forge a sword like that so let me wind down on this let me wind down on this let me just calm no more my killing shit. no more murder <laughs> i take it back no more yeah. valyrian steel yeah no more polish that turd chloe ah <laughs> I thought there was something there about, like, Jorah being like, I don't give a shit what it's called. It's important. And it kind of feels a little bit then coming back to Sam being like, I want to be called this thing. And again, another counter argument of, like, does it matter mm -hmm. the name as long as the essence is there? But I I do think names have power. So anyway, yeah, it's I part of too. that discourse in I this chapter. Yeah. Sam says the children of the forest use obsidian. They would know where to find it. And Jor's like, okay, smartass, they're all dead. So don't know how we're going to do that. Meanwhile, we know that's not true. <laughs> they were killed by first men with bronze blades and Andals finished that job with iron, he says. 
He's going to continue, but Craster emerges, proudly announcing he's father to a son. Pew, pew, pew. It's the gender reveal party. The raven crows, son, son, son. And J.R. congratulates him. And Craster's like, I don't really think this is a genuine congratulations. Yeah, he's like, why didn't we have a baby shower? Um, but you're talking about Blood Raven being here. I'm just like, damn, rude Blood Raven. Why would you rub it in right now? Everyone knows what it means. <sighs> well, Craster says that he'll be glad when the men leave and that it is past time and that he should just... JR should just kill those who are too wounded to travel and be done with it. And Craster also says... He's given them all that he can spare, but winter's coming, and now they have a new mouth to feed. And Sam then squeaks out, They could take him! And Craster spits on Sam's foot, asking what the fuck he means by that. That this is his son, his blood. And instead of backing down, Sam says he only thought to help, because of course he has no sons, and he just leaves them in the woods. And I'm like, wow, Sam's just like spilling everything right now. And Mormont says that Sam has just gone too far and tells him to go inside. And Mormont follows him, calling him a fool for saying such a thing. You are Boo Boo the Fool, Sam. <laughs> and that they need a newborn babe as much as they need new snow, which is not at all, uh, let alone pissing Crasser off. Yeah, Mormont did get me on this one. I was cackling a little. He's like, do you have milk to feed him in those teats of yours? Those big teats of yours? Or did you mean to take the mother too? Which like, yeah. Yes. That's the whole fucking <laughs> plan. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny yes. though. Again, coming back to someone that we've been bringing up sometimes, Nedley, bringing dear old dad back into this, just makes me think, how did Howland and Ned get home? With that baby, with baby Jon Snow, fresh baby Jon yeah. Snow and no mother <laughs> or no woman baby. who had recently birthed mm. another child. Hmm. Fresh baby. Mirror's mother. Hmm. Um, Interesting. I'm just saying. I don't know. But I also think, like, metaphorically speaking, Ned, I mean, the baby. You yeah. Know? He wants to save the fucking baby. It's wonderful. Do it for the kids. Ned Stark, do not fuck them kids. In a very literal sense, I guess, for Craster also. Anyway, um, I want to emphasize that in this moment, again, Sam has stood, stood up and Sam saw humanity in that child, right? Jera was willing to look the other way. The other men of the Night's Watch were willing to look away. Sam did not look away. And, you know, besides the example you gave of Ned, it reminds me a little of Davos, again, mm -hmm. in the same book. Sam risks his place at the Night's Watch, and he actually even risks the entirety of the Night's Watch and their reputation because, again, what is the life of one bastard boy against a kingdom? Everything. It's rather, uh, I'm noticing a lot more of these parallels of Davos and Stannis and Sam John. Mm. As we got through here, let alone and Robert, I guess, in a way, too. Oh, uh, that's interesting, too. BFFs. Yeah. Your best friend is the king. It's hard. Slash the commander, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess John is, I mean, he is also kind of the king in some ways, but he doesn't know yet. It's hard. 
And he does fucking outlaw babies, you know? He's like, babies are outlawed at the Night's Watch because of Stannis. Yeah, I mean, it's not entirely his fault. He's like, I guess babies could be here. Then he's like, babies are not safe here. (laughs) They are in danger. (laughs) Sam's too sweet. I really gotta sell this shit. I really gotta make sure he knows I'm cross. (laughs) Yeah. He becomes Lord Snow. I mean, he becomes that narrative, right? Lord Mm -hmm. Snow. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Sam says that Gilly begged him to come with them. And Mormont says that, all right, you know what? I've heard enough. Sam, you were supposed to stay away from Craster's daughters. Mormont commands Sam to go check on Bannon and leave his presence and just stop fucking things up. And so he does, right? But big sad. Bannon is dead when he arrives. And instead, his brothers sit. They pull a cloak over Bannon, saying that, you know, he was cold. And they hope it's warm there. And and Sam hears them go back and forth, talking about Craster. And some argue that Craster starved them to death. Especially starved Bannon to death, is what they think. And some argue that Craster starved them to death. And especially they argue that Craster has starved Bannon to death. And others argue that, I mean, Craster has his own daughters and mouths to feed. So they all manage to split their differences to bury Bannon at sunset, heaving him into Gren's bonfire. At Castle Black, usually the dead were buried, the due ceremony, but they are beyond the wall, and you know it's a big risk? Corpse is reanimating! So the ceremonial process has gone out the door because we just do not want things to come back to life. Mormont speaks, asking where Bannon came from, and then nods and gives a speech. He came to us from White Harbor and never failed in his duty. He kept his vows as best he could, rode far, fought fiercely. We shall never see his like again. And now his watch is ended. The Black Brothers said in solemn chant. And now his watch is ended. Mormont echoed. Ended! Ended! You did such a good bird voice in his dark materials. <laughs> Thank you. I was kind of summoning some of it here, you know, not quite. I was trying to make it a little different because, you it's know, your bird. Mormont yeah. had so much personality. I could feel it. You know, I could really feel the man pain going on as he watched another one of his men die in your voice. I just, I'm exposed to a lot of man pain all the time. <laughs> so... I love how George presents kind of this meta argument going on in the text, right, between the Night's Watchmen. Like, he wants us to think and wonder about the situation, right? Like, Craster does have all these daughters and wives that he sired out of greed, pride, and protection, but they're going to be hungry all winter, too. However, he's also very stupidly welcoming 40 men with backgrounds that he doesn't know or understand into his home who have taken an oath of lifetime fucking solitude to the Night's Watch in a frozen winter where there's no food and now all their friends have died around them in the snow. So, these groups of people are desperate. These desperate men tend to be predisposed to, you know, leaning towards the broken end of the spectrum, right? And I think there's something interesting in that, like, the guys killing Craster and turning on Jayor... Uh, Janos is being sent to the Night's Watch to, you know, disrupt things as of the last chapter. So, Hmm. literally, Tyrion's like, that's a great place for that fucker. 
you're surrounded by some men that want good and want to turn over this leaf and actually kind of enjoy their solitude and enjoy being at the watch. Ulmer, right? He's found kind of somewhat of a, mm-hmm. a decent life there. But then you have these men that show up like Janos who are going to be bitter and ruin it for everybody, right? And, and it really makes you think that maybe just sending people who have done something wrong or something that society hasn't accepted or, you know, bad people or whatever society thinks of them, maybe sending them into an icebox at the very end of the fucking world in society to fight ice zombies is kind of fucked up. And now they're starving? Like, what do you expect is going to happen? Of course they're going to do, like, of course. You're dangling carrots in front of them and saying they can't eat them. Yeah. Some of these people were people who were like, you know what's a good first option? Violence. What do you think they're going to pick here? (laughs) For real. For real. Yeah, I think there's something there, but I also think, like, you know, coming back to the part about Crasser's situation, I think, you know, what you said, right, George is saying that it's a hard situation, but I also think that he's also pointing out that what Crasser's doing is still wrong. Like, everything Crasser is doing wrong, right? He's, like, withholding these resources and aid for selfish reasons, and, I mean, allegedly he's a friend of the Night's Watch, but that is not what friends do, right? Friends, I mean, we've seen what friends are supposed to do. Friends wait for you in the snow when ice zombies are chasing you. Friends carry you on your back, even though maybe that was for a bird, but I don't know. Even when it imperils their own life. Hey, you got the bird in death. That's true. That's true. Craster also only has, like, one chair. And I'm like, that's a weird... I guess he thinks it's a power move. I don't know yeah, if it's, it's a total flex. he thinks it is. Yeah, but I'm like, this is not as big of a flex as you think it is. Um, but like, he, he's doing it kind of to force everyone to be below him, right, on those benches. And it has a lot to do with what you called out earlier of how Crasser is like Randall, right? Crasser's like a small-hearted man who wants to exert his power in any way possible, especially over others. And I mean, the men of the Night's Watch, there aren't, they aren't wrong to call Craster out on like how terrible he is. But what sucks is that they only do it because of their own suffering. Like they didn't do it for Craster's wives, daughters, or like the like bazillions of dead sons or the turned sons. And I think there's also something there of like, I don't know, the men of the Night's Watch. Like I, I find it interesting that this chapter follows that Danny three chapter and and that is the contrast right like what they end up doing with this mutiny I mean it's yeah. allegedly in this lawless land now right they've ridded themselves of this man who had power over them but also they don't use that power to do good they use it to like hurt Craster's daughter wives and to gorge themselves on Craster's food all except for Sam who helps Gilly and like you know, they, they're pushed to this edge, like, just once in their lives. I mean, it was obviously terrible and traumatic. But, like, how many times were the Unsullied and the Freedmen? Like, so much was stolen from them. Right? It It's different. Yeah. It's absolutely. different. And, and there's also, like, something to that. He's making it his only personality point, you know, of, like, these are my daughter, sister, wives. This is their life. Don't yeah. worry about where the boys go. And it's cool and it's fine and it's fun that we do this. And it's the norm up here because I have the power and I can do yeah. it. And it is like a total yeah. like, what are you going to do about it? This is my house thing. There are no laws, yeah. as Sam keeps repeating. There's no law. There's no law to stop it from happening. 
Yeah, and it's, I think, a great demonstration, same as, like, again, with Danny's storyline. Just because the law doesn't say whether it's, like, that the law doesn't exist or the law upholds it, that doesn't make it right. Yeah. Like, and and that both Sam and Danny are, like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Truly. And all of this is a lot, right? It's just a lot to yeah. have to take in there's for a Sam. Lot. There's like, a lot this chapter. Uh, yeah, they have no power. I mean, there was a lot last chapter. There's a lot in both of these chapters. There's it's rather sad and dark. I'm like, yeah. damn. Damn. Yeah. A lot happens to Sam. Right now he's sick from the smoke of the fire. And the smell is absolutely terrible because it is delicious. Alright? It smells like roasted pork, and he wants to jump in the fire and eat his friend. So instead, he goes and he throws up in the ditch afterward, and Ed asks him, Are you digging for worms, or are you sick? (laughs) And Ed's like, Oh, you know, we should have sliced, carved a slice off of Bandit as he died. But unfortunately, they had no applesauce, and pork is best with applesauce. And I'm gonna be real, I've never tried pork with applesauce, so I feel like we should add that to our list of things, Chloe. Have you tried pork no, with applesauce? I've eaten it like with um um pork is like the main dish and like it's on the plate together and I think the flavors get what I, I can I can understand. With applesauce? Hmm. Yeah. It's similar to like you've had applewood smoked bacon, right? And you have that slight tinge of apple and you have that smokiness have to I? it. You have I don't to know have if had I have. It well, it's good. I, I got it. I'm missing out. I'm missing um, out. I will tell you, weirdly enough, applesauce with like corn is really good. Like, accidentally getting a little corn in your applesauce. Something about the flavors work. Try it out next time she's swimming on your plate. You're not a weird plate person, are you? What do you mean? Like, your foods? <laughs> how do you... Uh, how do I not pay attention to this? You, you don't mind your foods touch-touching, or do you? Oh, well, okay. I get over it, because sometimes there's only so much you can do. But as much as possible, I would like to oh. keep... It depends on the food. It depends on the food. I've gotten better over the years, but I do kind of like them buy the sectioned off paper plates for next time eliana comes over got well, it i mean sometimes i'll combine depending on what the food is right obviously the food is meant to be combined but i will combine it for each individual bite i don't want it all pre-combined okay okay um, i get it i get it you want to assemble it you want control i yeah i take i think great pleasure in crafting what i feel is each time the perfect bite oh pleasure um, okay <laughs> Yeah, actually, though, I think the only savory thing that I've had applesauce with is like latkes. You see, and I think that's where it might. That's you know how pork can be docile. Not pork. That's no, not pork. no, but you know how pork can be kind of docile in some like aspects. The animal? That, the no, I mean the flavor. flavor. The flavor can um, be quite yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. calm. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm like, I think it would work for you. Anyways, I digress. We'll try it sometime. Definitely, we'll get back to you. That'll be a feast for feasts right there. But. <laughs> Ed makes to pee near him, right? And he's like, you know, Sam, you better not die because you just might be too fucking delicious. I might finally give up. I might slice you up. You have more crackling on you than Bannon, and I can't resist crackling. Yeah. he. Yeah, I do feel that way about it. You need a nice marble. I get it. Crackling, yeah. yeah. He goes on. He's like, we're going to be riding at first light, sun or snow. We're going to get the fuck out. Well, some of us will have to walk, but we're going to get out. He says. Later, Craster hears this and he starts to become almost amiable. Like he's almost like bearable for once. And he's like, I'll feast you. Well, kind of feast you farewell. 
And you can eat the horses that you had to slaughter. Nice. Eat some bread. Have some beer. The wives and daughters cook and serve, except for Gilly. Some are old, some young, but most are his daughters as well as wives. All look somewhat alike. They speak to each other softly, but they never speak to the men in black. Craster sits in his chair, the only chair, the rest sitting on log tables and benches, clad in a sleeveless jerkin with his wiry white hairs on his arm. Mormont sits to Craster's right at the top of the bench, and the brothers crowd in around them, knee to knee. The horse meat drips with grease. Smells amazing, but he thinks of Bannon suddenly, and he knows if he eats, he'll puke. How could they eat the horses that carried them so far? Finally, someone's asking the good questions. He does eat an onion while they're out, roasted. One side of his is black with rot, and he cuts it away, eating the good half. There's bread, but only two loaves. Ulmer asks for more, but the women all shake their heads, and that is when the trouble starts. Trouble, trouble. Yeah, there it is, the onion moment. And I do want to call out something here that I know has been called out before by many other people. I'm definitely sure I've read this like on the subreddit a couple of times, but I, I, you know, in case for some reason you've missed it, between the smell of Bannon and the stuff here about uh, horses and eating the friend that carried you, there's a lot of parallels about like what's to come with Bran's story, especially, you know, one of them that's more explicit is eating the elk. But anyways, there's also, I think, a little bit of foreshadowing for Sam having to face white small Paul in a way soon. Yeah, absolutely. Clubfoot Carl is complaining, and Mormont's like, accept what's given to you, be thankful we're not eating snow. Carl doesn't flinch, though, and he keeps standing up to him and says, I'd sooner eat what Craster's hiding, and Craster doesn't like that. He narrows his eyes, he's like, I have woman to feed, and Dirk's like, aha, you admit it, you have a secret <laughs> larder. And Carl's like, you're a cheap liar, and Garth of Old Town says, there were pigs last time we came, he has ham bacon, all hidden, sausages, probably hundreds of them hanging, barley, corn, oats. How much stuff do they think he has? But I, you know, I'll say, you know, I guess they were right. Like, when I, like, read these before, I was like, that's an exaggeration. I don't think that Crosser, there's no way Crosser could have that much amazing food hidden here. No way. But, you know, I was wrong. Yeah, I guess he just has a shit ton of great food. Yeah, he's kind of a prepper. Obviously, since he lives yeah, he in is. zombie land, oh my god. he's prepping oh my for the god. day his gods, like, you know, ignore him. He's prepping for yeah, the day he hands them a baby boy, and they're like, nah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He better get some doors if he's that big of a prepper, though, is my thing. Because, like, those cowhide flaps, I mean, that must be the easy access door for the others, right? They must just, like, pop right in. Hey, you got that baby out back? Cool. See you later. Yeah. And... I mean, obviously, whatever he was doing, I guess, is working for a bit, but not not that much longer. Mm-mm. Mormont tells them to stop their folly, and we've got this raven, Kong. Kong! 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 Uh, in the background, but Clubfoot Carl does not plan to do that. Mormont commands him to be quiet, and it seems that Carl is finally about to sit but then craster stands you know we almost we almost had a solution here but craster he fucked it all up he fucks up a lot of things like all these lives anyways the big steel axe that mormont gave him as a gift is in his hand he says that these people who've insulted him will no longer sleep beneath his roof or eat at his bode 
and kicks them out, saying that they have to sleep in the cold with empty bellies, and he jabs the axe at them, and Garth curses, calling him a bloody bastard, and he does not like that, you know, big, big Ramsey vibes, and this causes Craster to sweep his arm across the table, across the meat and the wine cups. Why is he wasting the food? I thought that was the whole fucking problem here. Anyways, he lifts his axe with the other, and there's this whole tussle that ensues between Craster, Garth, Orphanos, Carl, Serbiam, Dirk, World star shit. Some of the women are trying to attack the men to defend Craster. Craster bleeds out after Dirk then slits his throat. And Mormont stands over him saying, The gods will curse us all for murdering a man who brought us as a guest into his hall. Eliana, do you think this means anything? I don't know. Could this mean anything in the series? Uh I don't know. Do you think it means something? Are there broad themes going on in this book? This is like baby red wedding, right? <laughs> like this is as soon as yeah, the phrase the were like, wedding. yeah, oh my God, it's a nice day for a white wedding. As soon as the phrase are like, you know, here's some meat and mead, <laughs> wine run red, <laughs> <laughs> they should have fucking run. Jesus. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, they felt it. They were like, something's off. Yeah. Listen listen to your heart. When it's calling for you. Yeah, and it was calling. <sighs> well, these oh. brothers have gone totally rogue. Dirk has taken a wife by the arm and has a knife at her throat, commanding her to take them all to the hidden stores of food. So she does. The Lord Commander stands up to him, but Garth and Olo step in his way, blades in hand, and Olo shoves a knife into Mormont's belly. And then the world went mad. I have to say... I love that George puts this line, the world went mad, and we skip a big amount of time, right? Because we're avoiding saying that somehow Sam survives all of this. George just says, the world went mad. Because, I don't know, like, Sam, I love him to death, but he would just get in the way. He's sitting there holding Jor. I could see these guys being done with his shit and having wanted to, you know, stab Aronium up for a long time time so i'm just surprised he survives but i'm glad he survives i don't want him to die and that said the other thing about this skirmish that i'm really interested in setting aside that entire show invented mutineer scene that kind of shows what we see at the end of this chapter here we don't hear or think of these men pretty much ever again in povs uh we we see that they're you know the mutineers were out there once and most people think it's implied as Eliana did mention, we're going to get some brand stuff coming in here, that the mutineers are the pork Cold Hands feeds brand. But even that isn't technically canon, and it could just be he raided the stores, but I doubt that. But but I mean, it probably is, right? You get the line, Mira turned the meat to cook the other side. Hodor was chewing and swallowing, muttering happily. Only Jojen seemed aware of what was happening as Cold Hands turned his head to stare at Bran. They were foes. Men of the Night's Watch, you killed them, you and the ravens. Their faces were all torn and their eyes were gone. Cold Hands did not deny it. They were your brothers, I saw. The wolves had ripped their clothes up, but I could still tell. Their cloaks were black, like your hands. Cold Hands said nothing. Who are you? Why are your hands black? So, interesting there that it might have been the men. Maybe it was the pork, right? Uh... You don't know. Maybe it was actual pork, since we now know that Craster had some piggies. But, that said, oink oink, uh, 
as we're about to see them like eating and fucking and not caring that Sam's alive, they don't really seem concerned about burning bodies through all this. Like they are not thinking about that. And maybe it's because the brightest aren't left there that care or give a fuck about burning bodies. But yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously some people make it back, right? Like Mm -hmm. Ed and Gren and stuff, but some, like you said, you never hear about them again. And I think maybe it's gone before Sam. Some are reanimated. Some are pork. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Maybe it's, uh, yeah. No, I definitely think some of them are are pork. I, I think we'll find out one day, right? Like, when we when we get the wind's winter, if anyone has become zombies. And... I hope Sam tells someone to go get all this food. I mean, they're probably gonna stop by there. Yeah. And then maybe we'll get those answers to, like, more explicitly about what Craster was doing. Like, mm-hmm. we obviously get some of that at the end of this chapter, but, like, not, you know, not the full reveal. Oh, we might get it when uh, George finally adapts it and they do the chains around the, the ice dragon. Yeah, I think that's definitely one point where it could come up. They probably you know, stay at Craster's. The dragon up. Yeah, I think so. I actually, like, I'm kind and, of and half by kidding. That, I mean the but <laughs> yeah, I'm half kidding, obviously, uh... because I... I don't think they're going to go to crap. No, I'm just kidding. I do think maybe they will go back now that you say that. I don't think they're going to put chains around an ice dragon and, you know. It'd be interesting if what if they return to Crossers and Gilly is part of that. I think that'd be interesting, Ooh. especially if Sam returns to Horn Hill, right? Like, Gilly returns also to the place where she came from and has to confront that. I, I know she doesn't have to, right? Mm-hmm. People don't always have to return to the places where they were, like traumatized but i think gilly has definitely come through a different journey mm-hmm. towards uh what she's endured than sam yeah well later sam finds himself cross-legged on the floor and mormont's head is in his lap barely clinging to life it's actually a very tender moment um and a tender scene and he doesn't remember much of what happened after jr was stabbed gartha greenway killed gartha old town chaotic raleigh of sisterton fell and broke his neck after trying to climb and rape one of craster's wives gren gren had shouted and slapped sam and then he ran away with giant and ed and some others and four men in black remain eating chunks of horse meat while Allo rapes i guess the sweeping wife on the table and the blood is dribbling from the old Bear's mouth, and he flatly tells Sam to make for the wall and to find them and tell them all, tell them everything that happened on the fist about the free folk and then the dragon class. And finally, he says, Tell my son, Jorah, tell him, take the black, my wish, dying wish. Wish? The raven cocked its head, beady black eyes shining. Corn? The bird asked. Corn. Tell Jorah, forgive him, my son. Please go. I will not do this thing for you, J.R. Mormon, because I do not forgive Jorah. Mm-mm. I don't Fuck care no. if it's your dying wish. <gasps> I love when he says, No corn. That's what I'm going to say to my cats in the morning so when they're sad. climbing on me. No corn. No corn for you, cats. <laughs> He and the raven are friends. That's so sad. Eliana, that's his demon. I know. Except Blood Raven is possessing his demon. 
That's even worse. This is a crazy His Dark Materials plot I was not expecting. Uh, (gasps) What a cheap version of the original plan, right? Like a watered down, guess we're here still and we should all do it of the plan. Chet's in the afterlife and he's going, yeah, boy. (laughs) Fuck yeah. My longest yeah, yeah, boy ever. Um, (laughs) Oh my god. I love like, looking at who we had in the prologue. We had Chat, Dirk, Softfoot, Olo, Sweet Donald Hill, Lark the Sisterman, Raleigh of Sisterton, Clubfoot Carl, Maslin, Smallpaw, and Sawood. That were the mutineers in the original in the prologue. And then you have now at Craster, this is what you have left, which is Dirk, Alo Lapan, Grubbs, Garth of Greenaway, Alan of Rosby, Raleigh of Sisterton still. Monty, Clubfoot Carl, Orphan Oss, Muttering Bill. Um, very interesting. Very interesting. Just to see like what we've been reduced to and who's left. And coming back to kind of Tyrion's chapter, there's some interesting things coming up with like Bowen Marsh in the last chapter sends the letter saying he thinks the Lord Commander is dead. Right? Because they all went out on the fist and no one had heard from them. Unfortunately, coincidentally, he is dead, Bowen Marsh. You were right on accident. Uh, And Marsh had feared the free folk killed him, that the wall itself could be attacked next, which, yes, that is. That's coming soon. Stay tuned. Uh, And it, it wraps up really well for Tyrion's chapter with those thematics of, like, Tywin and Tyrion's relationship, especially over the sword, over the Valyrian steel. And... There's something really impactful considering that Tyrion is the son that Tywin hates and wishes he was dead, right? And Samwell is not dissimilar for his father, but Tyrion's the product of kind of turning bitter and cold and cynical in that environment of being forced to remain with somebody that hates you your whole life. Mm, And where Sam instead, after being turned loose, is fearful and scared and worried and, you know, feels downtrodden. And... I really think the the swords stand out especially through these couple chapters because Longclaw, of course, is very much so in mind. When we think of failed sons in the eye of their fathers, you have Longclaw going to John instead of Jorah. Uh, and mm. Heartsbane for Sam, right? Like Sam dreams last chapter. He dreams about Heartsbane slicing off some pork. In this chapter, Ed jokes about slicing off pork and it's not fun. It is not a good dream. <sighs> Randall's not really a big picture guy, right? Like, Sam would have been useful not at the watch. He's going to be great at the watch, and he's doing a great job, in my opinion. But how is Randall so full of arrogance and pride and just, like, total disdain at his son that he didn't send Sam to the Citadel and capitalize on having a maester son that can spy on another house for him and help funnel info. Or, you know, like, look at Willis, right? Like, Mace doesn't treat Willis like he's broken just because of his leg injury and because of his different nature, right? Like, he likes books and he's still a great leader and he can still be the heir to the house. He's not less of a man. There was use in him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what you said, right? Like, Randall, for some reason, has gotten it into his mind. You know, his sense of masculinity is like, he's like, oh, people, men can't be maesters. It makes them terrible. I'm like, excuse me, but like you said, right, Willis is certainly accepted. And Oberyn Martell, right, he didn't become a maester, but he went to go study at the Citadel for a bit and got some of his chains. And no one's like, you know who seems dumb? Oberyn Martell. 
They're all like, wow, that's a respectable scary man. Yeah, they're like, that guy fucks, and he fucks up yeah. with his spear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it all does boil down to how Randall doesn't like to be viewed, or how he wants himself to be viewed and his family to be viewed. He's just a duty head. Yeah, he also doesn't seem to, like, he seems very much so pure attack, pure offense, and doesn't understand, like, where Tywin at least has yeah. some sort of understanding of you have to have a defense, right, as well as an offense. Yeah. Um, and he kind of has more sleuthful moves when it comes to war, a little more, I don't know, subtle moves, where Randall is just, like, he is power, and power is what he cares about. Yeah, I mean, Tywin cares about that, but, like, you know... It manifests in a different way. He he has this like sort of push and pull with Tyrion, and Randall's only like push, push. Yeah, that's true. I mean, both of them are toxic in different ways, Absolutely. but also similar, but also different. Well, Sam whispers that he would rather stay with Jerry Mormont, that he isn't frightened of anything, but a woman's voice says that he should be. Gilly is bundled up between two of Craster's wives standing over him, and Sam says that he can't speak to them. He has orders, but the women are like, that's over now? He best leave before the blackest of crows return from their free meals in the cellar. They have two horses left, and they've secured them for Sam and Gilly. And also, Sam, you promised to help Gilly, so you better do it. And I, I will say, you know, in this moment where Sam, he says he's not frightened, it's also the time that he's saying no right? John was going to help you, and he, Sam's not stepping up yet, so he isn't being brave yet because he isn't frightened. Yeah, and, and I think earlier him mouthing off saying they'd take her in front of Craster was very brave. Like, that was a lot yeah. of bravery for one episode for Sam, and he does <laughs> remain brave, you know? Like, he does yeah, yeah. actually, I mean, he he braves up a little bit to get Gilly out of there, and I think there's something like being frozen from that, right? With that patriarchal Westeros vibe. You were talking about this a little at the front, actually. Like how he equates Craster with his dad and how, you know, he still is approaching kind of that he has to request from Craster because Craster mm. is like he owns property, not daughters. It's his assets that he owns. And Sam has to kind of like, he thinks in his head how to approach a man like his father. You know, like a man yeah. like his father who sees only value in numbers and people. So it's such a bummer because he just gets frozen, I think, at all of it. It's a very big task. Uh, and Jor feels safe, right? He, he'd rather just leave yeah. Jor's warm, bleeding head in his lap and hide and die there, he thinks. That's the thing, right? He's like ready to give up. I don't mean that like Sam's not being... It's like, as you said, he becomes brave... And continues to be so, but like in this moment, he's like ready to give up. And when you're not feeling that fear, like that said, yeah, the adrenaline that pushes you to action. To yes, yes, and yeah, he's reserving his stores. He's you know resting for his hyper beam. He is getting back into it, and <laughs> for his solar beam, even his. There you go, his solar beam. Yeah, he's gonna shine, baby. He's gonna shine, and oh. Going back to the free folk woman, Sam's like, no, I, I promised John would help you. Fuck, fuck. This was not supposed to happen to me. Because <laughs> they're just like, you promised you'd help Gilly. And he's like, no, 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 no. John was going to help Gilly. This is not my forte. I just write the scrolls and attach them to the ravens. I'm, I'm the brains. He's the brawn and he's not here. So we can't do this. 
Sam closes yeah. Jayor's eyes. He tries to think of a prayer, but then all he can say, just like in chapter one, over and over, is, Mother, have mercy. The woman tell him the mother can't help him none, but he can take Jayor's <laughs> sword, his fur cloak, and his horse and get out of here. It is said, Jayor dying in his lap, and again, we see Sam turning to the mother in the seven and, and chanting that, right? Not the old gods, when he said he had converted... And it's kind of funny because Jayhurst doesn't even worship the Seven, right? Like, it's one thing if this was, like, you know, one of the people from further south. Mm-hmm. Jayor is not. He's a Mormon. He's a Northman. But also, this is the second man to die in Sam's care today. And Sam is, like, just, he is not having a good day. This is a very bad day. He's had many bad days, but this is an especially bad day for Sam. That is kind of like, I mean, Sam is a healer, right? Like, that is a strength of his, and that's something he wants to explore, and he wants to kind of explore some of those theological practices and understand divinity between the body, mind, soul, all that shit a little bit more. So, like, that is something for doctors, for nurses, that's very hard and very emotional in their job is losing patients, right? So when you think of it with that aspect in as Sam as a healer, that has to weigh on him. That has to hurt his soul very much. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's not your fault, Sam. You're doing the best you can, babe. He really is. Well, we come towards the end of this chapter. The girl don't lie, the old woman on the right said. She's my girl, and I beat the lying out of her early on. You said you'd help her. Do it, Ferdy says, boy. Take the girl and be quick about it. Quick, the raven said. Quick, quick, quick. Where? asked Sam, puzzled. Where should I take her? Some place warm, the two old women said as one. <laughs> That's us, the two old women. We would actually be considered old. Pro- I mean, they're probably are. We're the old lady twins in Avatar, the last <laughs> yeah. Airbender. What is it? Something in, what are their names? At Ember Island. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gilly was crying. Me and the babe. Please, I'll be your wife like I was Crasser's. Please, Sir Crow, he's a boy, just like Nella said he'd be. If you don't take him, they will. They, said Sam, and the raven cocked its black head and echoed, They! 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 The boy's brothers, said the old woman on the left, Crasser's sons. The white cold's rising out there, Crow. I can feel it in my bones. These old bones don't lie. They'll be here soon, the sons. Spooky. Spooky. Um, I love that we get to actually hear from some of the other wives, right? Just for a hot Mm, second. Uh, Any sort of relationship for Gilly and her family. It's not very sentimental, but I'll take it. I I said earlier, it's almost like they're giving her away, right? To some strange man of the Night's Watch. This is her her wedding farewell. Go off. Be wed to this man. Be safe. And it's so sad because, Mm -hmm. you know, she immediately is offering, like, please, I'll be your wife, Sam. All she knows is that. that, That's the only thing that she feels that she can offer to the world. And it's why Sam and Gilly have such a great bond and have great chemistry on page together because they've been told they were nothing since they could move. Both of them, right? Like, they've just been told they amount to nothing and are nothing forever since as long as they were born. 
So there's so much like pain that develops from that that I know they can understand about each other and to see them get paired off together to kind of go grow as characters and explore and find better parts of themselves. I, I really look forward to hopefully seeing more of Gilly and T-Wow. Absolutely. And I mean, it's exactly like you said, right? That, that same line stood out to me. And as you said, like, that's what she thinks she all she is. Right? And, you know, in regards to them giving Gilly away, it's also a little bit of Sam stealing her. As mm-hmm. we know, that's very much how the marriage rights work in amongst the free folk well some some tribes again everyone's like that crasser person we don't claim him (laughs) exactly what i was thinking about though it is like that it's very much bail the bardy right we're stealing Mm -hmm. gilly uh and you know it, it brings me back to later at winterfell when theon has jane you know it's very similar to springing jane with the free folk washerwomen yeah 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 Hmm. Free folk women fucking rock. Yeah, they do. They really Great do. Great track record. Fucking awesome track record. <sighs> well, we're going to see more of Gilly being great in the next few chapters. But, I mean, I think I, I'm happy to call it here for Sam, too. Yeah, I'm happy to call it here. We have tons of good stuff coming for next week's episode, Sam 3, with our friend Noah, who you can find at Twitter, at Samantha Tarley. Uh, Noah is wonderful and has a great essay about Sam that you can find on their Twitter. It is in the pinned post, and we'll post a link below for that this week and next week when they're on with us. We look forward to that. Yeah, and of course, don't forget, if you listen to last week's Sam episode, Sam 1, be sure to check out Radio Westeros' coverage of Sam's character as a whole. You can find that on RadioWesteros.com, where their episodes are. Of course I can. So, everyone, um, as we said, we are we have a few messages that we'll get to in the upcoming weeks, but if you have any thoughts for us, please be sure to let us know on social media or email. You can find us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com, that's C-A-N-O-N, or over on Twitter at girlsgonecanon. Or, if you'd like, be sure to follow us to keep up with new episodes. Yes. And if you want to keep up with those episodes and you have a podcast streaming platform of your choice, you should head over there and click follow on us. We are all over. We're on Google Play, iTunes. Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, uh, Audible, Amazon, you name it, Pandora, I think. Uh, You'll find one. Just Google it. Just give it a Google. Yeah. And of course, you can always find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. As you said earlier, patrons in the Stranger Tier and above do get bonus episodes. Yes, and patrons in the Thunder Tier and above also get a quick chance at Discord events as well as Discord chat. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll be back next week. Yeah, we're being reanimated. We're undead. I wish someone would stab us with dragon glass. Uh, See you next week. Bye.